well, thank you guys for coming. We are in uh, week two of a sermon series that we have been calling uh, Silent Killers. Uh, we've been unpacking certain things. So in order for, before we get started, in order for me to be uh, clean before the Lord and walk in integrity with you, um, I need to be transparent with you out of the gate. Uh, anger, uh, specifically what we're going to talk about today, this has been an area uh, that I have failed miserably at, especially as of late. There's really a season uh, where this anger triggers and I'm just popping off left and right. And man, I'm just, I, I'm just being transparent with you today. This season that I've been walking through uh, is called the season when you teach your 15-year-old how to drive a car. All right? <laughs> Anybody here with me? Been there before? Uh, so so you, you, you will be if you haven't yet. But listen, it, in every possible way, it is pressing against my patience and testing and anger. And I've failed uh, numerous times. I'm sitting shotgun. I'm, my son, he's got his permits. His name's Ryland. And Ryland's driving. And I'm just sitting over there. And, uh, and, I, and like he does something in the car. And like so I start stomping on the floorboard as if there's a brake pedal there. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Like, I'm going to stop the car, stop, or I'm grabbing a hold of this, you know, the door handle thing up here and just like gripping it. And I'm just like, like, it's going to, and sometimes I'm reaching over and I'm grabbing the steering wheel and I'm just like losing it. Like, uh, I might have said the word uh, dad gummit minus the gum a couple of times, maybe, I don't know. But I, I just lost it on, on my son. Like in the middle of these, I, like I would be so embarrassed if anyone else saw me in this way. Like if, if anybody from the church saw me, like the staff, they'd be like, oh man, we caught you. And I'm just gonna be like, I'm gonna resign. You got me, sorry about that. Yeah, you, you got me. Uh, uh, so, so we're in, and I feel so bad and I've popped off and I'm like, man, I've expected him to drive like an experienced driver and not a 15-year-old. But I got mad at him because he's doing what a 15-year-old does, right? Who's learning how to drive. And, and I'm just like, I feel bad sometimes afterward. I'm like, Riley, I'm just sorry about that, man. I really lost my cool there. Uh, you forgive me. And he's like, hey, can we go to Sonic now, right? He just, he's just forgiving. He just, can we go get some ice cream? Uh, but I just, I kind of sat back and had this moment, like, who was that guy? Like, who was that guy? Like, if I, if I, if I could, I'd beat him up. Like, no one talks to my son this way, right? Except for me, right? We as parents, we talk to our kids. But if anybody else talks to them that way, we get mad, we, get, we buck up, right? Like, who is this guy uh, that, that's talking to my son that way? And it just is really pressing. I've really lost my cool in so many ways. Uh, how many of you would say that, that you've lost it in those moments? Like, there's no much you sit back and you're like, I've really lost it. I didn't know who that was. And you just were outside of yourself. You acted like a fool and you just didn't catch anybody else in the room. All right, cool. Now, here's what that does. That makes me, number one, feel a lot better about myself. Uh, and, and then lets us know we're all wicked together. So we can all just kind of go to work now uh, and understanding that we, we all fall short in this vein. Uh, this is the age of rage that's been called. And uh, I think for, for most of us, probably all of us, Chances are this week you have been stirred up in anger in some kind of way. Uh, the evil of the world just provokes these anger reactions out of us, and it comes out in many different ways. Some of you are like, it's traffic, it's your thing. Like, you, you're on I-24, and, and it, like traffic, it just kind of incites this rage in you and this anger. Uh, and you're like, I know the Lord moves in mysterious ways, but you don't have to. Use your dang blinker, right? Uh, <laughs> You, you're, you're waving at the people, they break check you, and you're like waving at them with the one finger salute thing, and you, man, you just get stirred up. 
Some of you, uh, man, you get mad when you're, it's your spouse this week. Some, some relationships at your job. Maybe it's your boss that really incited anger in you. Uh, maybe you are mad or have been mad or maybe even today are mad at the person sitting next to you or at the little person you just dropped off down the hallway. You know, you know what I'm talking about? And this is just a, a reality for all of us because we all struggle with this silent killer called anger. My hope is this today, uh, that we begin to have some victory over anger, uh, that it would not be a silent killer in our life, that we would expose it for, for what it is, um, and then we would walk through two things today uh, in understanding that Paul's going to tell us to be angry, and then he's going to say, do not sin in your anger. So... What does that mean? Is that a conundrum? Let's unpack that today. Uh, but the hope is that we have some victory over anger and the Lord would be able to redeem some of those things. So let's pray before we open up the uh, text this morning. Father, we ask this morning um, that you both uh, convict us and you would construct us. That you would break down everyone uh, who's walked in the room and understand that we are all guilty of anger in our life. No one is immune to it. And Father, we can't go to work if we cannot admit uh, that we are offenders, that we hold anger in us. And Father, I pray after that that you begin to construct us up, that you would build us up in hope and promise and victory and freedom over the anger that enslaves us. There are those that have walked in this room today angry at someone right now today. Be it someone in the room, be it a family member, someone who's wronged us in this life. God, you are a God of freedom. And you are promising today that they can be freed up from that anger that enslaves them. Would you usher them into that hope today? Would you model it? Father, the gospel, the cross, is the, is the picture of your anger poured out so that we would not be enslaved by the anger that is in us. So let it be the guiding force of our time today. We love you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so let's go Ephesians 4, 22 through 25. It's Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And this will guide our time and our passage today. We'll start in verse 22. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So here's what Paul's doing in the church in Ephesus. This writing here is he's, he's appealing, he's letting them know that their old self, their old manner of life was wicked, angry people, right? Full of deceit. And he's telling them here that when you believe and trust in Jesus Christ, when he regenerates the heart, you are not just a changed person. You're not a better version of the awesomeness of you. You're a new creation. And he's calling us to put on the new, to put off the old, the old filthiness, and put on the holiness, and calling us to not just follow Jesus because he can get us to heaven, but to follow Jesus because he makes us like him on earth now. And then he starts to unpack what that means. Well, the first thing he says, don't lie. A pretty basic command. Christians shouldn't lie. Why? Because 
Jesus Christ doesn't lie. There's no deceit in him. So to mimic Jesus is to not lie. Christians should not lie. Not big lies, not little lies. Matter of fact, there's no such thing as a little lie because there's no such thing as a little God. All acts of lie are treason against the holy God. So put away those things. So then he moves on to anger. And that's where we'll spend uh, the rest of our time and really the bulk of that. Let's move on and let's read this passage. 26 through 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, what Paul is doing here, first of all, he's quoting Psalm 4, 4. Um, and out of the gate, he says, be angry. It's the first thing he says. So let's just pause there because we're like, what are you talking about? This is a little odd. I thought, I thought we weren't supposed to be angry. I mean, isn't this this conundrum, right? Because didn't Jesus tell um, in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, didn't he say that if you have anger in your heart, that you're committing murder? He's condemning anger here, and now Paul is saying, be angry. So what is that all about? Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying there's a good anger, and there's a bad anger. There's a righteous anger and an unrighteous anger. It's like fire. All right, fire can be both good and it can be bad. Fire can uh, warm the food, cook the food when you're hungry. It provides heat in the cold. It provides light in the darkness, right? But unchecked, that fire will burn your house down, right? So in the same way, anger can be good, and we'll unpack what that means in just a minute, but it can burn your house down. So what are the two different kind of angers? How do we know which one is the good anger and which one is the bad anger? And let's start with the good anger, the righteous anger, because Paul's commanding us, this is a command, be angry. So what does he mean by this? The first one, this righteous anger, the good kind of anger. This is a kind of anger that you have towards sin and injustice. An anger towards sin and injustice. When Paul in, five, in Ephesians 5.1 says to be imitators of God, we imitate God. And God has a righteous anger towards sin and injustice in the world. So as mimickers of God, we are called to have the same righteous anger towards sin and towards injustice. Let's look at God's righteous anger since we're modeling after him. Clearly, we see that out of the gate in the flood, right? In Noah, let's look at Genesis 6, 11 through 13. Now, the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through him or through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Why is God's anger kindled against creation because they had sinned and they'd fallen away from God. And what is he? He always gets angered against sin. He's never passive about it. And we see it clearly punished here in this moment. We know that God's anger was kindled against the Israelites when they came down uh, from Sinai and they're worshiping the golden calf, right? Let's look at that one. Exodus 32.10. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may not or may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. So Moses comes down, he sees the, 
all the Israelites worshiping the golden calf and God's righteous anger, the sin of idolatry stirred up in him that he wanted to consume them. Now, it's not just sin. God has a righteous anger towards injustice as well. Social injustices of the world. Look at Amos 5, 21 through 24. God says, I hate, I despise your feast, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. God's getting angry in this moment. This is a church gathering is what's happening here. And he says, I am so disgusted. I don't want to hear your songs. I don't want your sacrifices. I don't want the words in your mouth. I don't want your movements. I don't even want your tithes or offerings. I'm so disgusted by what you're doing. Why was he so angry? He was angry because the people of God, the Israelites here, had neglected the care of widows and orphans, which was a great injustice. God calls us to care for the widows and orphans. So all those things that they were doing, it made him sick, right? He had great anger against the people because they had neglected the injustice They had not served the care for the widows and the orphans. So that's Old Testament God, right? The God of old, yeah, he's he's doing all these things and he's a wrathful God. What about the New Testament God? Many people like to separate the God of old from Jesus. Jesus is not like him. He's more of the 60s, 70s flower child with peace tattoos and flowing hair. He doesn't get angry at sinners. Not my Jesus, right? Well, the true biblical Jesus gets angry with a righteous anger. He doesn't sin in his anger, but he has a righteous anger. If your version of Jesus did not get angry, I don't know what Jesus you're worshiping because we're showed several times of his anger kindled against the disciples and even the Pharisees. We see that one time he turned to Peter. He got so mad at Peter, he ticked off and called him Satan. I'd say that's pretty angry, right? He, he goes off in Matthew 5 and really just sprays his anger out on the Pharisees. They were all high and mighty and pious on the outside, but their hearts were wicked inside, and he just has a righteous anger towards them. We know the story about Jesus coming into the temple to worship, right? And all of the, the hypocrites and the Pharisees had set up the merchants right outside in the temple courts selling sacrifices, right? And Jesus comes in uh, and does the original whip. Like he whips the cords and tears them out and says, get out. He is a righteous anger that's happening. Why? Because they were selling and profiting off the Gentiles They had come to worship God, and these religious freaks started to sell things and distract them from the gospel, and that stirred up a righteous anger in Jesus. God has anger. I think the greatest display of God's anger that we must understand and must see is his holy anger against the sin of humanity. Every single sin of humankind boiled up in God and then he takes that righteous anger and he pours it out on his son on the cross. He didn't diminish it. He didn't look the other way. He had a righteous anger towards sin. And he, what did he do with it? He poured it out on his son. 
Now, what that should tell you here today is if you are hidden in Christ Jesus, God's anger is not kindled against you because it's been poured out on his son. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, God has a righteous anger towards you and he will pour it out on you. Either Jesus paid for it on the cross or you will pay for it eventually. God has a righteous anger and we need to be careful about making the God of the Bible into something we want him to see. So here's basically what Paul's telling us to do. Be like God. Get mad over sin, right? Get mad. Oh, this is one of the marks of the Christian, by the way. When you're, you're a regenerated uh, Christian, a new heart, you're a new creation, you start to hate sin and get mad at sin. Are you angry? Are you angry at your drunkenness? Are you angry at your sexual immorality? Are you angry at your love of self? Are you angry that you love other things more than God? Are you angry that you have an angry heart? We are called to be angry at our sin, not have fellowship with it, but to hate it. And until you hate it and are angry at it, you won't kill it. There will be no mortification, the killing of sin, if you don't first hate it and have a righteous anger towards it. Now, the second piece in this is we should have an anger towards injustice. The same God of the old hit, fighting injustice, anger. We are called to hate and have an anger towards injustice. Injustice of abortion, trafficking, discrimination, racism. Things that break the heart of God should break our hearts. As ones that are created in his image, we must take on his posture. We must be like God and be angry over the right things. All right, so there's the permission to go to, uh, but let's move on to the second piece of anger, all right? And this is the unrighteous anger, the bad anger, all right? So I'm going to go out right out of the gate, um, out of the limb. The explosion you had on your kids, your boss, your friend, your spouse this past week is not the good anger. I'm just going to throw it out there. It's probably not uh, the, the good anger. It's probably the unrighteous anger. Anger. So how do we determine what is a righteous anger and what is an unrighteous anger? And simply, simply put this way, the righteous anger, as I said, it's because you're, it's, it's offended God. If it offends God, it's a righteous anger. If it's an unrighteous anger, it offends you. It affects your pride. It hurts you, but not God. It's a different kind of thing. So let's look at a, an example of an unrighteous anger. Someone who's affected by their pride, jealousy. Someone has wronged them. Let's look at Cain and Abel really quickly in Genesis 4, 1 through 7. Now Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bore a son, Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock. And of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you so angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, its desire is contrary over you, but you must rule over it. So God asked Cain, why are you angry? 
Like, he, didn't, he, he didn't need to know that information. It's a little rhetorical question. God's omniscient. So he didn't really need the answer from Cain. He, he was trying to get Cain to admit where his issue, his fault was. And Cain had a jealous heart. He was angry at Abel because God had accepted Abel's sacrifice and he did not have regard for his sacrifice. He was offended. He was jealous of his brother. It was his pride that was impacted. It wasn't fair to him. So what does he do with his unrighteous anger? When he killed his brother. How do you know if your anger is righteous and unrighteous? Let's just pause there for a moment and do some application, do some work. The anger that you might have today, let's just assume that you have anger in your heart towards someone today because of immediacy in the room, a fellow uh, family member or someone in the past who's wronged you. Is it because they've wronged you and hurt your pride and your feelings? Or is it a righteous anger because they have attacked your God and your church? Which one is it? That, that will let you know right now where you stand in righteous and unrighteous anger. Is it offensive to you or is it offensive to God? You, you might be saying right now, oh, Pastor Man, you have no idea what this person did to me. You, you say all that, but you, if you really knew what they did to me, you wouldn't say that. I'm telling you that your picture of the cross is too small. Your Jesus is too small. And there's nothing that someone has done to you personally that has outsinned the cross of Christ. Nothing. Nothing at all. You must ask, ask, ask these questions of yourself. Is it something that is selfish or is it sinful? And that be the root. Now, another way that we can reveal if this is an unrighteous anger is is, is how we respond when it becomes in us, right? How do we respond when we have this unrighteous anger in us, okay? Let's unpack that for just a moment. Um, because here's what will overflow. When you have unrighteous anger in your heart and it festers, it will overflow in your life and it will cause you to sin. Like God gave Cain an opportunity to really to confess his sin. And if, if you confess it, won't you be okay? But because Cain let it fester, it overflowed in the killing of his brother. All right, so here's the deal. If you let sin fester in your heart and take root, anger, and it's not resolved, it's going to overflow and it's going to leak out in your actions. What are the ways that Paul tells us it's going to come out. It's going to come out through the outlet of bitterness, slander, gossip, right? yelling, fighting. And then Paul says this, and this is where we'll spend just a second. He's going to tell you that when you do that, when you give birth to bitterness, slander, gossip, hatred, malice, all of those things, that you're giving the devil a foothold in your life. That's what he says. Now, I know some of you might be too enlightened to believe in demons and devils, uh, but you're enlightened to your own peril because the devil is real. The devil is real. Now, we can go the other way with that too and quickly see people that are blaming everything on the devil, right? 
C.S. Lewis, you all know the Chronicles of Narnia, said this about the believing in demons and devils. He said there's two great errors. One is to disbelieve in them, and the other was to obsess in them, right? But Paul's talking about here that there's a real devil, that when you start to play out your life in bitterness and malice and gossip and slander, that the devil is like putting a foot on your neck, choking you out, and he has exactly where he wants you. The devil is this father of all lies, and he is this lion preying around on us, and he feeds on our anger. He is a lion on a leash, but he loves to bite. And he uses our anger to put this foothold in our life, and that's exactly what he does. Let me, let me give you three things that when you have anger in your heart, that, that, that Satan himself is accomplishing his purposes, okay? The first one is this, that when you have anger in your heart, unresolved, that Satan, you have bought into the lie that you can be God. You can be God. Now, you might say, well, what are you talking about? Well, remember in, in Eden, when Satan creeps up and tells Adam and Eve that they can be like God, they can have power like God, you can judge the world like God. And they bought the lie, right? So when you hold a grudge, when you hold anger in your heart, you think you are like God. Why? Because you want to exercise judgment, authority over people, and you look really good. You make yourself look better than everybody else. You elevate yourself to be like God. And that's exactly what the lie bought by Adam and Eve. It's the first thing that he does. The second thing that Satan does is he desires to make the cross of Christ look foolish. He, he wants to make the cross look foolish. So if the cross is the place where God's anger was poured out, and absolved all of God's anger towards us, if we can withhold forgiveness and hold on to anger, we make the cross look foolish. We don't extend forgiveness. When we hold forgiveness, we are ultimately saying, my cross and my Jesus is foolish to the world. Because God's righteous anger towards you has been absorbed on the cross. So how trivial would it be for you to withhold forgiveness and have anger towards other people? How silly is that? Because the reality is, whoever's wronged you, whoever has, listen, it's paid for. It's either going to be paid for on the cross, it's already paid for if they're a believer, or it will be paid for by them in eternity in hell. See, you don't get to play judge. We don't have to exercise authority over people. It is not our job to play God. It is our job to play God, or to obey God. To obey God, not play God, right? But when we hold on to it, 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 it festers in us and it makes the cross look foolish. The third thing that Satan does, if he can get a grip on your heart and hold on to anger, is he cultivates disunity in the body of Christ. You see, the world, anger, angry people in the world, there's disunity, right? All it does is destroy relationships, burn bridges, tears up families. But the church, hey, you're not like everybody else. You are new creations. You have victory over anger. And if Satan can come in and make us look like the world and create disunity in the body, 
then the world does not see the glory of Jesus Christ in us. And he has us exactly where we want or where he wants us. They're just like everybody else. They fight, they withhold forgiveness. They have anger in their hearts, just like everybody else. And there's victory for Satan in that. We do not give him a foothold in our life. Now, other ways we need to know what anger looks like. How does it express? Because everybody does it a little bit differently, all right? Uh, Here's a few different ways that people express anger. Uh, Some people just explode, right? You'd explode on your spouse. Uh, There's elevation of speech. Your voice gets a little higher. There's, There's attacks towards each other. You always do this. It's always you. You'll never change. You're just like your mother. You're just like your father. It's always you. And there's cussing in a a house. The home is just elevated with noise and speech. And man, it's just a house that is cold. How's the romance flickering in that house, right? A lot of cuddling going on in that marriage? Probably not. Anger welling up inside of us. When bitterness takes hold, Satan's foothold on your life can wreck and destroy, and it is a silent killer of marriages. Man, other people, they have an outlet of sin and anger uh, through how they mistreat people. Like just that they're coming and, and going. They have this veiled anger inside of them, and it comes out and in, in, in how they treat people. Like, think about tra- how you treat a server at a restaurant, either at fast food behind the counter or somebody's waiting on you. And you just get ticked off because they put ketchup on your burger. I can't believe you did that. I'm not giving you a tip. Go get me something else. I need some better service over here. I see that. I don't want to ever become that person. I don't want to become the old crusty guy that's just calling out the, the, the waiters and waitresses because I've got anger in my heart. That's veiled anger. That's all that that is. Underneath that, there's someone who thinks they've been wronged. Their pride has been affected and wounded, so it flows out in how they treat people. Other people, the way that they respond to anger is they withdraw and pout. The silent treatment, right? You've hurt me. Now I'm going to deny you the awesomeness of me. Right? I'm so awesome, you don't get me. I'm going to just hold off and just kind of create some space, and I'm just going to chill out for a while, and you don't get to experience the awesomeness of me right now. That's called pouting. That's unveiled anger underneath. And it is not the way that you handle it. Doesn't Paul go on and say in 26 that do not let the sun go down on your anger? That's what he says. He says, handle it swiftly. He didn't say, don't get angry. He says, swiftly come in and do not let the sun go down on your anger. Handle it today is what he says. It's been said that if you go to bed with anger in your heart, you're sleeping with the devil. Think about that for just a moment. When you hit the pillow tonight, if you have anger in your heart towards someone, spouse, family, person who's wronged you in the past and it is unresolved you go to sleep with the devil why because that's exactly where he wants you it's exactly don't you forgive them do you remember what they did to you no way should you humble yourself 
You hold on to that anger. You are better than they are. Don't you give in. Don't you be weak. That's the lies of the devil in your head. Christians don't do that. Christians say, God has forgiven me. He has not burned his anger towards me. It's not kindled towards me. So why am I turning around and burning it against someone else? Man, we don't do that. We let go and we experience the freedom in the gospel from the anger that keeps us in prison. Some of you are like, okay, you still don't understand. This is just what I do. I explode. It's what I do. I got to pop off. It's what I do. I I withdraw from people. This is how I kind of get my head right and I need a 24 hours of kind of just cooling off period. This is what I do. I grew up in a house that this is what I saw. I saw mom and dad fighting all the time. So this is just what I do. Honey, this is what I do. This is what I grew up like this. Not people who've been redeemed by Christ. We don't say those things. We never look back and use those things as excuses. Now, my heart goes out to you if you grew up in a household that was full of bitterness, malice, uh, scandal, gossip, fighting, yelling. Man, my heart goes out to you. But that doesn't give you a pass to continue to act like a fool. It doesn't. You are a new creation in Christ. That's what Paul's case is. You put off the old filthiness and you put on the new. We don't look back. We move forward. So how do we do this now since we can't use those things as excuses? How do we practically avoid getting sucked into this vortex of anger and it flowing out in our life? Here's a couple of practical ways that we're going to do. First of all, the Bible never tells you to do something never commands you to do something that he does not empower you to do. Meaning, the Holy Spirit will empower you to overcome the anger that's in your heart. Before, you had no shot. Before Christ, before the Holy Spirit, you have no ability to forgive and let go and have any victory over anger. But now the Holy Spirit can empower you. It gives you the ability to control your anger. So you do know that you all have the ability to control your anger. I have the ability to control my anger. We all do. All right, I I would probably venture to say that uh, some of you, you got to church this morning and the kids are like screaming, yelling. You're like, you better dry it up. I'm gonna wear your butt out when we get in there. You better get in there. Oh, oh, hey, good morning, Pastor R.C. How you doing today? It's so good to see you today. Yep, God is good, right? You have the ability to control your anger, right? We all do. Let's look at a couple of practical things here uh, of how we can do that. Ephesians 4.31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. James 1.9. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. So how do we do that? How do we put on the, put off the old self, put on the new And begin to have victory over anger. What is our fighting strategy against our angry hearts and our anger problem? Ephesians 4, 23 or 24 tells us, it's actually at the top. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So Paul just gave the prescription for how to handle anger. I don't know if you caught it or not. He doesn't say go to anger management classes. 
He doesn't say get a stress ball, go to a yoga class, just really meditate it out. That's not what he says to do. Christians don't do that, by the way. How do you want to handle the anger problem, the angry heart? Is you do what Paul says. Paul says that we must be transformed by the renewal of our minds again. He says this a lot. We have to think differently. We have to put off the old wicked ways we used to think about the world and people, and now we have to put on the new, and our minds have to be renewed. Okay, well, how does my mind get renewed? That's the next question. Do I just will it? Do you just go home and like, I promise, honey, I'm never going to cuss at you again. I promise I won't raise my voice. I won't yell at you. That person that's really triggers my anger every week, I'm just not going to let it happen anymore. I'm very disciplined, and I know what's right and wrong, and I'll be better. I'll change. That's not what Paul says. You will have no victory over your angry heart and your anger problem if that's your strategy. Your strategy has to be to renew your minds. How do, re- how do you renew your minds should be the next question. You don't get a renewed mind if you don't read the book. It doesn't happen. I will tell you that even these sermons on Sunday don't renew your mind. They're pieces of that. But an individual commitment to studying the Word is the only way that you can renew your mind. Personal devotion, corporate devotion to studying God's Word. And the other piece that we do that we're so passionate about And wanting you to have a renewed mind is that we sit around and we pray. We say, how can we help people get renewed minds? How can we help them to understand the truths of the Scripture so they can penetrate their mind and get into their heart and it is lived out in their life? That's what these things are, y'all. These are not little cool pamphlets and things that we want to do to do Christian things and stay busy. We care deeply about you renewing your mind, and we put all these things together, and you must take these things seriously. You got one of these when you came in. I want to draw your attention to the insert that's inside it that you got today, specifically for classes and groups that we are doing here at our campus. There's a lot of other information on there, uh, but we want to steer you to this specific campus for one of those classes. Men that gather together and say, okay, how do I fight anger? I'll go to a Bible study with other men who struggle with anger. Women, come together. I'm really angry. I get angry at my husband. How do I deal with that? Well, let's open up God's Word together and have some victory over anger. Parenting classes. Brian and Tara Timbozik are going to do a Wednesday night parenting class because we get angry at our children, right? How do we overcome those things? We have to study the Word of the Lord to do those things. So I'm appealing to you. Listen, I'm appealing to you much Passion and prayer has been put into these things. Uh, I want these things for you desperately. But you do have to take these things seriously. Would you consider uh, signing up for a class? Or if you want to find out more information about those things, just go right back to the back of the room at Discover Life Point, And we got people back there ready to answer those questions and walk through those things with you. Let me, let me wrap up by, by saying a couple of things. I would tell you tonight, or today, I'm sorry, I'm already in the the third service, Uh, it's today. Um, I I would tell you that today as you walk in, if you are someone who here, who regularly has an anger problem, you're the quick trigger guy, girl, you, you go to malice and slander and bitterness pretty quickly, or you have an unresolved anger that's inside your heart that you are not forgiving someone, I'm going to make a statement that I I hope it it rings true. I'm going to tell you 
I'm going to tell you that your anger and holding on to absolutely reveals that you have not been enraptured by the gospel. I'm going to tell you that your Jesus is too small. I'm going to tell you that you are potentially putting yourself in the place of God and judgment and power. And I'm going to tell you that your cross needs to get a lot bigger. That your view of Jesus is a little too small. Because if you embrace the beauty of the gospel, and it is the most beautiful thing that you've ever seen and heard, and you know that God's righteous anger is no longer kindled against you, but it was poured out on his son, that, that is what gives you victory over the anger in your life that imprisons you. You ain't punishing nobody else. Like no one's sitting around because they don't get the pleasure of you. It captivates your heart and it keeps you exactly where the enemy wants to keep you. So I'm praying today, y'all, that, that, that somewhere in here that you begin to step through and have some victory. Here's a couple of ways we want to help you. As your pastor, this sermon doesn't do it. There has to be more ways that we can minister to your hearts. Here's one, one of the things that we put together this week on your LifePoint app, on the home screen. If you don't have the app yet, you need to download it. On the home screen, there's a place and there's a thing on there that says, are you angry? And we have given three different portals uh, uh, ways that you can contact us as the church, as the pastoral staff, to help you walk through those things. Maybe you think you've got something up on, on, on the sermon today, and you're like, oh, i got a different situation. Maybe it's something you need help discerning and walking through. We want to minister to you. Would you fill out that quick app thing? Someone will reach out to you. They'll message. It's a private thing. It's a DM. Or... If you just want to come talk to us today, we'll be glad to do that. Uh, there'll be some people in the back of the room. Uh, I'll be at that next steps area to the right. We want to help you have victory over the anger, right? We want to be angry about the right things, angry over sin, but not sin in our anger. Let me pray for us and we'll keep worshiping. Father, you did what you say that you will always do. You convict and you construct. And Father, I pray that for the reminder, I'm thankful for the reminder of you showing us our old self. The old self that is incapable of overcoming anger, having any, any victory whatsoever. But we are new through the blood of Jesus Christ. His life, his death, his resurrection gives us a new creation, a new heart, and an ability to overcome the anger that enslaves us. And I pray that people begin today to walk in that freedom. Not just on the individual anger that they may have today, but a life full where they do not let anger fester in their hearts. Move us as you will. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.